Webster's Dictionary defines compliance as the action or fact of complying with a wish or command. This is the Compliance Guy. The Compliance Guy. As a healthcare provider or healthcare professional, navigating the muddy waters of compliance can get tricky. And that's why we're here. Helping you mitigate risk while increasing your profitability. This is the Compliance Guy. Now, here's your host, Sean Weiss. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Dose on the Compliance Guy. I'm Sean Weiss. Today is Friday, August 19th in the great year of 2022. This is our final episode of the week. And as always, I want to say thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while as I get to talk about all things compliance. So today, I thought I would go ahead and take on an issue that I am getting a lot of emails and direct messages from folks regarding the waiver of copayments. Now, this has been an issue for a long period of time. And what I will tell you is that, you know, a lot of providers refer to this as a professional courtesy. And you can't just refer to the waiver of a copay as a professional courtesy when you're doing it as a routine part of your business across the spectrum of your patients. Because a professional courtesy refers to the provision of medical care to physician colleagues or their families free of charge or at a reduced rate. And while professional courtesy is a longstanding tradition in the medical profession, it is not an ethical requirement. So I tell physicians all the time that they should use their judgment, their best judgment, in deciding whether to waive or reduce their fees when they're treating fellow physicians and or their family members, and that they also need to be aware that accepting insurance payments while waiving patient copays is not only a potential violation of the False Claims Act, it is also a potential violation of the healthcare fraud statute. It could potentially violate the anti-kickback statutes and it may violate the American Medical Association's ethical opinion. So there's a lot of different aspects that we can talk about with regard to the waiver of copays. And I think one of the areas where we can start is understanding that the waivers of copayments and or deductibles implicates the federal civil monetary penalties law. And this is under the Social Security Act, specifically Section 1128A. You can also find it under 42 U.S.C., subsection 1320A through 7A. Now, remember, the Civil Monetary Penalties Law, or what they refer to as the CMPL, this prohibits offering or transferring remuneration to federal program beneficiaries 
if the provider knows or should know that the remuneration is likely to influence the beneficiary to order or receive items or services payable by federal or state health care programs. Now, beyond that, the term remuneration is specifically defined in the CMPLs to include the waivers of copayments and deductibles. Unless, unless reasonable collection efforts were made or the waiver results from a good faith determination that the individual is in financial need. So I would draw your attention to these aspects of the USC, which is the United States Code. And again, it's 42 USC subsection 1320A through 7A, A5, and then 42 USC subsection 1320A, 7A, I, 6A. Now, I said just a moment ago that this could potentially violate the anti-kickback statute. And the reason is the AKS prohibits payment of any kind if the purpose for that payment is tied to or could be tied to the inducement of referral. So, folks, keep in mind that failing to collect amounts owed by the patient is viewed as an inducement for the patient to come back for more. And if you advertise, we bill your insurance only, no co-pays, no deductibles, because I've seen this. Believe it or not, even in 2022, I have seen these advertisements, and it's mind-boggling to me. So if advertised or known, it's viewed as an inducement of the initial visitor service. So get with your legal counsel because unless it is properly limited, a waiver of copayment, deductible, or coinsurance also constitutes remuneration. Now, if you are found to be implicating the AKS and exposing yourself to civil monetary penalties and possibly exclusion from the Medicare program, that's a bad thing. Remember, although the federal anti-kickback statute only applies to Medicare participants, at least one state that I know of definitively, which is Texas, has enacted almost identical laws that applies to all patients regardless of the payer source, which it could be implied by the waiver of deductibles and coinsurance amounts that you violated the anti-kickback statute. Now, I do know that there are other states that have inducement laws. They have um, a form of the anti-kickback statutes. And you got to be 
you got to be aware of what your state laws push out. Now, the Office of the Inspector General issued guidance on this issue. And what they said is that some of the more suspect business and marketing practices that could potentially violate the anti-kickback statutes. Um, And just so you know where this is coming from, uh, this is the Office of Inspector General, Department of Health and Human Services, special fraud alert, routine waivers of copayments or deductibles under Medicare Part B from May of 1991. And this was republished in 59 Federal Register 65372, 65374 on December 19, 1994. And you can also download this at www.gpo.gov forward slash FDSYS forward slash PKG forward slash FR dash 1994 forward slash html forward slash 94-31157.htm I will go ahead and put that into the description. So anyways, back to what the OIG said. And, And again, they issued guidance on this noting that some of the more suspect business and marketing practices that may violate the anti-kickback statutes include, but keep in mind, are not limited to advertisements stating Medicare accepted as payment in full, insurance accepted as payment in full, or no out-of-pocket expense. Advertisements promising discounts to Medicare beneficiaries and failure to collect co-payments or deductibles for a specific group of Medicare patients for for reasons unrelated to indigency. Now, in OIG's 1991 guidance, it included an important exception to the prohibition. And what it said is this, providers, practitioners, or suppliers may forgive the copayment in consideration of a particular patient's financial hardship. So in order to meet this financial hardship exception and to avoid any unpleasantries with the CMPLs or the AKS, you got to ensure the following. One, that the waiver is not offered as part of any advertisement or solicitation. Two, the person does not routinely waive coinsurance or deductible amounts. And three, the person first waives the coinsurance and deductible amounts after determining in good faith that the individual is in financial need. Or second, they fail to collect coinsurance or deductible amounts after making a reasonable collection effort. OIG has affirmed the financial hardship exception and extends the exception to hospitals as well. Folks, remember, waiving copayments and deductibles also implicates the Stark Law because the waiver of the provider's usual fee can be viewed as non-cash remunerations. So for 
potential avoidance of Stark Law, you got to make sure that you understand what you think is being, you know, kind to your, your beneficiaries. I don't know if that's the right word. But thinking that you're doing something to help these folks when in actuality you're violating the laws. This is why it's so critical to have a corporate compliance program and to have a specific policy on the waiver of copays and or deductibles and what it means to offer a professional courtesy. Remember, CMS released the final Stark II Phase II regulations permitting providers to offer professional courtesies in limited circumstances. And these regulations need to be reviewed very carefully by your external or internal counsel or your compliance professional. Because in order to avoid an appearance that the purpose of the waiver is to obtain referrals, your providers should extend professional courtesy to all groups, right? Because we want to avoid an appearance that the purpose of the waiver is to obtain referrals. So your providers need to extend professional courtesies to predetermined groups of individuals so it's not avoiding taking into account the volume or value of referrals of the group. Again, providing professional courtesy on a case-by-case -case or to some but not all referral sources exposes your providers to possible stark violations. Folks, the practice of waiving deductibles and copayments becomes especially problematic when physicians try to justify it, when they characterize a professional courtesy as accepting whatever the patient's insurance plan allows as payment in full, right? This is what we refer to as insurance-only billing. So when the payer is a commercial plan, the practice could also run into significant problems based on the provider's participation agreement with that particular payer. But again, as I said before, state insurance regulations could also be implicated. Remember, under Medicare or Medicaid, the practice can result in the inadvertent reduction of providers' usual and customary charges. So take these things into consideration prior to allowing the routine waivers of copayments and or deductibles and to also take into consideration the 
offering of professional courtesies where it's not really a professional courtesy, but it's more of take what insurance pays. Again, create specific policies to the waivers of co-pays and or deductibles. Create your policy on professional courtesies and make sure that you are educating your staff, including your providers, as to what the rules are and how to avoid running afoul. All right, that's going to wrap up this Daily Dose. I hope you all had a great week, and I hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you next week on Monday, starting with our Coding and Compliance Roundtable. We have an awesome episode coming up for you. But until then, remember, be good to yourself, but more importantly, y'all be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to The Compliance Guy. Sean has been doing this for 28 years. He holds 10 national board certifications. He's a partner and the vice president of compliance for Doctors Management, LLC. He's a subject matter expert in federal court. He's lectured at the most prestigious institutions. He's engaged with members of Congress in both chambers. So what we're saying is he's qualified? We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can find us on social media at The Compliance Guy. See you next time on The Compliance Guy.